0: The psalm is one of my favorite psalms. and I've, This is the first time I'm preaching the sermon in English. i preached it in Russian probably 13 times. This is the first time I'm doing it in English. I might be translating it in my head sometimes, and it sounds a little awkward. Bear with me. Uh, this is a wonderful psalm in many ways because it is a psalm about who God is. It's a meditation on His nature. When we say the word God and we worship God, who do we mean by that word? Who is it that we address when we say God? In, the, in our pluralistic society, we have many different gods and many different perceptions of God. But that's why we have the word of God. That's why we have the scripture and the clear testimony that it gives us of who God is. And the psalm is part of that testimony. And uh, he begins by saying, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. He's speaking for the people of God. We here, our, is people of God. And we are included in it as his people. You have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You know, we, when we read words like that, they can sometimes go over our head because there's so much in it. We mark time all, all the time, right? Some of you have watches. I mean, we don't wear watches anymore. It's the phones or, you know, there, there are clocks everywhere. Your cars have a little thing, right? Tells you what time it is. Why is it that we mark time? And I don't care what culture you're from. Everybody thinks time is important. In fact, I'm going to have a little bit of a nerd moment here. Uh, In our English way of measuring time, there's like layers of artifacts, cultural artifacts in how we measure time. Have you ever thought about why we have 60 minutes and 60 seconds? It's from ancient Babylon because Babylonians had a 60 base math. It's real fun. You know, If you try to express things, you know, we have a 10 base math for those of you who are unfamiliar with that. Uh, the Babylonians had a 60 base, and that's why we have 60 seconds and 60 minutes. Our months are Roman months, most of them. It's a Roman calendar, right? But for some reason, our 12th month is called December, which is 10. Yeah. It's because a couple of Roman emperors wanted to have months named after them. So we have Jul, uh, July for Julius Caesar. We have August for Octavian Augustus, who was the emperor at the time that Christ was born. And June is for goddess Juno. February is an obscure Roman festival of purification. For some reason, we have a month named after that. And then we go for a week. We also inherited that from Babylon. Babylonians had a lunar calendar, so they had... Uh, phases of the moon were very important to them. So four weeks, right? And uh, our days of the week, funny names, right? Our days of the week, three of them are named after Roman worship of celestial bodies. And four are named after Norse gods, uh, Asgard, you know, whatever. So you have Saturday for Saturn. You have Sunday for sun. You have Monday for moon, moon Moonday. And then you have Thief's day, right? Odin's day, you've heard of Odin, right? Thor's day and Freya's day. So you see the artifacts, right? uh, This is my nerd moment, it's over. You can see how, you know, how deep this goes. This is ancient stuff because time is important to us. We're all affected by it. I don't care who you are. You are affected by time right now. We live in it. We measure it because it's important to us. We measure it because we can't escape it. You know, if you want to imagine it with me, we are inside a box, a three-dimensional space box, right? But it's not a stationary box. It's very big. It's so big you can go to... You're know, take a plane and go to another town. Or you can take a spaceship and go to another planet. But you're still inside the box. But the box is moving. It's moving on rails. Like a ride in Disney World, right? It's a big, big ride. And we're all on it. And we all got on it when we were born. And we're going to get off it when we die. That ride... All our lives, we're going to be inside this box. Now, where did the box come from? Who made the box? We're in it. But who made it? And this is where we begin to see, we were singing the song, how great truly is our God, maker of this box. How great truly is our God, who is above time. As a, as a quote that Robert Oppenheimer made famous from Bhagavad Gita, where I don't know if you guys, some of you know very well what it is, some of you don't, so I'll give you a little bit of background. It's a, an Indian epic poem about a warrior, Arjuna, who is getting ready to go in a battle, right? And he has having some kind of doubts, second thoughts. And then his charioteer, Lord Krishna, comes to encourage him. right? And he is actually an incarnation of God Vishnu, according to the story. So he, as he encourages him, he says, well, show me you know, who you really are. He kind of figures out. He says, show me who you really are. And so he takes this divine form. And he says the famous line. Behold, I am become death, the destroyer of worlds. You've heard that, right? This is what Oppenheimer quoted when he saw the first nuclear explosion. But there's actually an interesting uh, translation mishap there. Because originally, Bhagavad Gita was written in Sanskrit. And the word for death in Sanskrit, specific word, doesn't actually mean s- simply death, it means the erasure by time Just think about that for a moment erasure by time the world is erased by time you know uh, French existentialists specifically Sartre would, would counsel us live in a moment you've heard that before right you've got to live in a moment that Poets Society the movie if you saw it you know Carpe diem, you know, savor the day, live in a moment. You've heard that, right? So, we have a problem, Mr. Sarder. We have a big problem. Which moment should I live in? This one, or, or this one? The one that just ran away from me? That's the moment I should be living in? The weird thing about time is it never stops. It never stops moving. You can't catch a single moment. You can't stop for a single minute. The box is always in motion. And it erases everything. Everything is a memory, a faint memory. And there's a lot in the psalm about that. Even a thousand years of history is a faint memory. You spend $10,000 to have a wonderful vacation experience. How long does it last? Right? Three days later, it's like it never happened. Oh yeah, there's, yeah we did that. We have pictures to prove it. The time erases all things. It's that powerful. It's that powerful. It erases the world. And you know, I guess since I started on Hindu theology, there is a, in Hinduism there is an idea of a Brahma. Uh, uh, Brahman, the primordial spirit, and this is in uh, uh, Rig Veda, when he wakes up, the world is destroyed and remade, and the new time begins yeah. and Hindus thought about it the ancient Hindus they thought about it it's another funny thing is. Uh, we think that the idea of trinity exists only in Christianity. Well, in Hinduism, there is an idea, the three Murti, the three primary deities, right? Brahma, Vishnu, and uh, Shiva. And you know what's interesting? If you think about each of these deities, Brahma is the creator god. Shiva is a sustainer. And uh, Shiva is a destroyer, pardon me. And uh, Vishnu is a sustainer. Notice something interesting about it? All these are attributes of God. Isn't that interesting? Because uh, polytheists worship attributes of God. Well, my polytheist friends, why worship attributes of God when you can worship God, who possesses all these attributes? He's a creator, he's a sustainer, and yes, he's the destroyer. That's one thing we forget that our God. He's an awesome God. He's a God who will judge the world. And the passage of time is his way of telling us, hey guys, judgment is coming. Let's look at what the psalm says. And the psalm says, in verse 3, says, you return men to dust. The Hebrew word there is very curious. It literally means to be ripped apart. Disassemble, kind of reminds of that Sanskrit word that I quoted earlier, disassemble. You guys watched the uh, Avengers Infinity War, or what? I think that's the right one. The one with the glove where he was collecting all the gems, right? I think I got the right reference there. So he was collecting the gems to remove the extra people from the universe. And they kind of showed the moment when he succeeded. Remember what happened? The people kind of got disassembled, right? disassembled, destroyed our God is capable of that he's capable of destroying everything we kind of made tame God in America we created for ourselves a God that we can tolerate but it's not God of the scriptures God of the scriptures has that aspect to him he returns man to dust He can destroy and He will destroy this world warped by sin. That's what the scriptures tell us. This is the God we worship. You know, Americans, we have this thing, uh, Russians do this too, but I know people do this in this country. You say, oh, God lives in my heart. Bad theology. In, In a sense, you could say that God is in the heart, but you have to get to that. God can't fit into your heart. You live in his mercy. You live in his heart, in the place that he made for you. That's how it works. Heaven and earth can't contain God. This is what we call in theology transcendence of God. I'm going to use a little bit of theological terms here, just a little. Transcendence means that God is beyond, he made the box. God created time but he's not subject to time. Vishnu, when he appears to Arjuna, he says, I am become time. Well, God is greater than that. He, because he made time. He made time. So where is God? Where is he? Where does he dwell? Where does he live? He says, you have been a refuge. How can we make God a refuge? Where is this place where we go, where God lives? The scripture says, beyond. He is beyond. No one has seen God at any time. God is transcendent. Many religions believe that. But you know, of course, what the problem is with God being so transcendent. How do we reach him? How do we find him? You know, in Judaism and in Islam, God is fully transcendent. But where is he? You can't talk to him. In Hinduism, God is fully imminent. He's right here, you know. Uh, Vishnu is standing right next to Arjuna in his chariot. But where is that transcendence? Who made time? You know? In Hebrew, in uh, Hindu theology, the three primary gods—they're creating each other back and forth. You know, it's really funny, actually. They kind of—you know—I'm not today. I create you. This time, I create you. you know. but who created the uncreated? Who created the time? This powerful force that we all experience. Who made it? It's tr- tr- transcended God. God who is beyond it. God who is above it. This is the God we worship. This is the God we pray to. Is terrible force. The force that he can wipe out everything. How do you worship such a God? How do you pray to him? How do you call him father? A thousand years in your sight are but a yesterday when it is past or is a watch in the night yesterday how much do you remember from it ok maybe you're younger you remember a lot but when you get to be my age and I'm not that old some of you can testify better to this than I can uh, it's like oh yeah yesterday I guess that happened right it's not much left from it so for God a thousand years is like that it's nothing to him. It's nothing to him. Uh, one of my favorite stories is uh, um, by a Russian writer named Mikhail Bulgakov. And the story is about uh, Satan who visits Moscow, uh, post-revolutionary Moscow in the early years. And so he, he has a conversation with two atheists, one a smart atheist and a stupid atheist. Yeah. And he has a conversation with them, and he tries to prove to them that God exists. And one of the things that he brings up, he says, well, if there is no God, he says, who rules everything? Who directs everything? Indeed, who? You know, who made the box? And the atheists say, well, man rules everything. And he says, I'm sorry. In order to rule, you have to have a plan for... At least a thousand years, you know? And how can a man rule when he can't even be sure about tomorrow? So, his argument this is kind of a, a Dr. Faustus type of story, this is like Goethe, Bulgakov's version of Giothe. So, So, the point is your life is too short to rule anything, and your life ends too suddenly to be in charge of anything. You are not in charge of this world. I hope I'm not making this a huge revelation to you, but you are not in charge of this world. You're not in charge of your own life. Your own breath comes quite apart from your desire. Your blood flows without you thinking. You're placed on this earth, you're placed inside this box by a power far greater than you can ever imagine. This is the God we worship. And then he says, Your, Our iniquities are before you. You know who we are. And judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. He says the years of a life of 70 or even the reason of strength 80 yet their span is but toil and trouble. This is verse 10. They're soon gone and we fly away. I'm sure you all know what this is, what this means. I don't care how old or young you are, you know exactly what this means. The best years, toil and trouble and we fly away. Why? Why? Why is there passage of time? Why did God make the world this way? Maybe it's his way of telling us, don't get too stuck here. This is not your final destination. This is a transit point. You're passing through. So don't try to hold on to anything because you won't be able to. Everything will be taken away from you that you hold in this world. Everything except. Except what's in your heart except what you believe, who you love, whether or not God knows who you are. We all want a judgment, a justice, right? We want justice in this world, but would justice be done in this world? Some of you here are in law, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. Our justice system is not perfect. Far from it. God's justice is perfect. You know what that means, that God's justice is perfect? It means that everything will be accounted for. All our secret sins, all our thoughts are known to him. Everything will be accounted for. Moreover, one thing that our justice system can never do is make things right. You know what I'm talking about, right? So say somebody kills somebody. Now we go and kill the guy that killed the other guy. Did we make it right? No. At best, we're restraining sin. That's the best we can do. We can't remove sin. Only God can do that. Only God can make things right. But if we are going to face judgment of God, and if the time, the passage of time tells us about the judgment of God, that it is coming, it's inevitable. We're moving. To, even if you sit down and say, I'm, not, I'm going to do nothing. Not going to work. The box is still moving, right? We're still on the ride. The judgment of God is coming. And everything will be brought before Him. And everything will be made right. Every sickness, every pain, every wrong that we have done, every sin that has been committed... It's all going to be made right. Well, if that is the case, my friends, brothers and sisters, what will be left to us? Verse 11 is a critical verse in the psalm. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? Who considers says, who is adequate for these things? So who is going to stand before God and answer for everything I have done and everything you have done? Who will be the one? Is it going to be me? Is it going to be you? Well, nothing left from us. Destru- deconstruction. Gone. Destroyed. Erased. No, we can't stand before God. And that's why God, the Father, that's why God from eternity, from everlasting to everlasting, from all generations, God has purposed to redeem the world. In Reformed theology, we call this the covenant of redemption. It's a covenant inside the Trinity, where the Trinity agreed beforehand, before anything was ever made, That Christ would come one day and redeem the fallen creation. See, a lot of times when we talk about Adam falling into sin, we're talking about fall, which is what separated us from God. That's our main problem. We often talk about it as if this was a surprise to God. This was not a surprise. This This is not plan B. Christ is not plan B. It wasn't like, oh, I guess Adam didn't do it. Okay, Christ, you're up. No, that's not how it worked. From eternity, God's purpose has been. And when we read the Old Testament, when we read passages like that, when we read about God's judgment, we've got to remember that we have to read it Christologically. We read it because Christ has come in a certain way. There's this tendency in academic circles to read the Old Testament as if the New Testament didn't exist. We can't do that. We can't do that anymore. Christ has come, and the fact of his coming is undeniable. We cannot ignore it. We cannot ignore that Christ has come. And that purpose which God has purposed, our own God has purposed from all eternity, is to bring Christ into the world so that he would stand in judgment for us so that the judgment of God could be poured upon Him, so that God would make all things right in Christ, including bringing us into His kingdom and calling us His own. And let me ask you a trick question. Where is Christ right now? If you said in your heart, bad theology, Scripture tells us where Christ is. At the right hand of God. Right? Heavenly temple. Where Christ serves his blood for our sins. That's where Christ is. And he's coming again. Amen? We're waiting for him. We know he's coming again to take his people back. But he's at the right hand of God. How then... Does God speak to us? How is he a refuge? Well, that's why we worship a triune God. Because we have God the Holy Spirit. And God the Holy Spirit takes what Christ has done and brings it to our heart. And yes, in that sense we could say God dwells in our heart through the Holy Spirit. But we've got to honor the fact that God is transcendent. That God is, he doesn't need us. Uh, Spanish philosopher Baruch Spinoza had this idea that God was kind of bored. That's why he created everything. See, so he was bored, it's like, oh, let me entertain myself, and I'm alone, so let me. That's not the God of the Bible. It's not the God who we worship. Triune God, in his own heart, he doesn't need anyone. This is called aseity of God. That's another theological word. God doesn't, he's self-sufficient. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need our worship. He doesn't need our prayer. He commands us to pray and to worship. But that's because it's a reflection of who he is. But he doesn't need it. You know, polytheists, when they worship their gods, they have to close them. They have to put them in the temple, make sure that paint doesn't chip, put a little food in front of them. Some gods need to be bathed once a year. Ganesh, I'm looking at you, right? So, but our God doesn't need to be bathed. He doesn't need to be fed. He doesn't need to be serviced. He baptizes us with Holy Spirit and fire. Our God doesn't need our help. We need Him. He is our refuge. He is our hiding place. He is the one we could run to. Why would you worship things that are weak? Even time is weak before God. Even time that seems so powerful to us, to God, is nothing. He is our refuge. If you are anchored in this world, you will fail. As the book of Hebrews says, "Where is our anchor?" What does the book of Hebrews say? It goes behind the veil, into the very heavenly temple, into a place where God dwells. Our anchor is out of this world, literally. It's, talk about thinking outside the box. It outside. Of anything that we can think of, God is the ground of all being. He is the reason why we exist, and He is also our Savior. He is also our Redeemer. I love this. This part here is uh, may may read a little strange to you because it's a lament. But he says, "Teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom." You know, I hope you don't read this and say, okay, I've got to try to, you know, number my days better. I hope that's not how you read it. Because this is the work of the Holy Spirit you're looking at. This is Christ in us. Christ is the wisdom of God. Christ is the power of God to salvation. Just think about uh, what that means. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. And this, I love this part. Let the favor of the Lord God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. The favor of the Lord, that word here, is an interesting word. It's a Hebrew word, namah, which you may have heard because uh, Ruth's mother-in-law was named Naomi. You remember that, right? And Naomi means pleasant or beautiful. I just, this is a little tidbit that I I love. Not the favor. What if we read it, let the beauty of the Lord of God be upon us. For those of you that are aesthetically oriented like me, who understand the value of beauty, Oh, beauty is God's beauty. All wisdom is God's wisdom. All power is God's power. Let the beauty of the Lord of God be upon us. God is going to make you into something beautiful. That is the point. You are his workmanship, poema, poem, his creation. He delights in what he's going to make of you. may look in the mirror and say, well, this this can never be good, right? But trust me, our God, he can do miracles. He can change you, and he will change you. Now, I want to dwell a little bit on this, and I don't see if I can use the clicker here. Uh, Hmm. Okay. Not that. Sorry. Okay, well, I can't use the clicker apparently. It's all right. I'll say it in words. So, there's been, a, you know, how everyone has kind of a metaphor that they follow. There's been a metaphor, and my, my sons are going to roll their eyes, I'm sure, because they've heard this like a million times. Sorry, guys. But uh, it's been a dominant metaphor in my life. When I was thinking about how, how do we live our life, right? Knowing our God as great as he is, how do we live our life? And so the dominant metaphor for for me has been the children's song about the bear who went over the mountain. You've heard that one, right? The bear, no? Yeah, some of you have heard this. Okay. It's a very simple song, right? The bear went over the mountain. The bear went over the mountain. The bear went over the mountain to see what he could see, right? you heard this, right? So, uh, so... It's like an amazingly philosophical song. Oh, there's that bear. See, that's the bear, right? So what's the philosophical about it? Because when the bear went over the mountain, he couldn't see what was behind it, right? He has to go to the top of the mountain to see it. Robert Greene says, if you're at the foot of the mountain, it's a book on human nature. So if you're at the foot of the mountain, you can't see what's on the other side. You have to go up and then you can see, right? So and, what, and when the bear went up over the mountain, what did he see? What do you think he saw, right, the song says? He saw another mountain. Remember that, right? He saw another mountain, he saw another mountain. And when he saw another mountain, what did he do? The song goes back. The bear went over the mountain. Ah, now the point emerges. So the bear, you and I, we're, we're, we're the bear, right? He 's a good bear, he 's a faithful bear, he 's a reformed bear. Yeah. He he, 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 believes, he believes in God, He knows God, and because he knows God, he's going over the mountain. You know God has given us choices, decisions. don't fall into quietism. Oh, I will just sit here and wait until God does something. And don't fall into pietism, which says, well, John Maxwell quotes that he says, if it's to be, it's up to me. No, I'm sorry. It's not up to you. And this is the point of bear's walk. You're on a bear's quest. You're on a quest, epistemological, quest for knowledge. You want to see what you can see. You're going to over, go over that mountain, and it's going to be hard. There are going to be landslides, they're going to be rock slides. They're going to be other bears, hunters. You know, there are going to be things that are going to want to take you off that path. But you're a faithful bear. And you're going to keep walking. And when you go up to the top of the mountain, God will show you the next horizon of your life. This is how you live your life. By God's grace, we don't get to see the entirety of our life. We don't get to see everything that we're going to do. That is His mercy. Because that would be overwhelming to us. He wants us to walk with him. Now that you have come to God through Christ and the Holy Spirit, you can walk. Let this be a thought for this year for you. You don't have to know everything. You don't have to understand everything. God will show you when the time is right, when you get up on that next ridge, you will see where your next horizon is. And the most beautiful thing, brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you with this, the most beautiful thing is when the time comes, 70 or 80 years or whatever the length is of your walk, when the time comes and you draw that last breath, when the bear crosses that final ridge, guess who will be waiting for him? Christ will be waiting for us. Him who we followed our entire life and have never seen but believed, we see him through his word, we see him through his works, we will see him face to face. That is our reward for a faithful walk. This is who waits for us, and everything will be made right. There'll be no more tears, there'll be no more sorrow. There will be no more sickness, no more war. There will be no more darkness. God will be light. And we will see him as he is. I hope you're ready. I'm excited. The deep things of God, Spirit shows us the deep things of God. Our God has depth to him. We will be learning who he is all eternity. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you that we can walk over these mountains that are before us, trusting you, hoping for that final blessed day when we get to see you as you are. Lord, may we mark our new year, the beginning of new year, with new hope, a hope that isn't a false hope, a hope goes deep out of this world because you are out of this world Lord may we worship you in spirit and in truth this year establish the work of our hands we pray in Jesus name Amen